going to do now, um, I'm not, obviously, three pages of outline. I have enough trouble covering one page of outline, right? So three pages of outline, I've never got a hope in a million years of covering in an hour and a half or whatever, two hours. So what I'm going to do is just briefly go through some of these things that uh, I want to connect with you about the, the prayer itself. The reason why is because I'd really like you to focus on the emotional parts of this prayer. So when we look at the prayer itself, the prayer for divine love. The first line of the prayer is, Our Father who is in heaven, we recognize that you are all holy and loving and merciful and that we are your children and not the subservient, sinful and depraved creatures that false teachers would have us believe. Now, one of the main things that prevents our connection with God is this internal belief that the majority of us have on the planet today that we are in some way inherently sinful by nature. In other words, that there's something wrong with me. There's just something wrong with me. I don't know what it is, but there is just something wrong with me and God's never going to want to connect with me. That is a huge emotion inside of us that we need to allow ourselves to start connecting with. Does that make sense? It's that emotion, actually, that is like a block. The reason why it's like a block between yourself and God is because it's not God's opinion of you. So God's opinion of you is that you're beautiful, radiant, fantastic, wonderful, most awesome creature that God has created. That's God's opinion of you. Your opinion of you and God's opinion of you will match one another when you're at one with God. So in other words, when you're at one with God, you're going to feel inside of yourself that you are this awesome, radiant, fantastic creation of God. Does that make sense? It's not a state of arrogance. It's a state of truth. You are this awesome creature that God has created. You see, God doesn't create anything other than awesome creatures which you happen to be one of. But what happens is this emotion inside of us that, and, and you look at how much religion has played on this emotion, this emotion that you are sinful by nature, the emotion that there is something inherently bad in the human race. Right? These emotions are now a part of us, are now a part of the human race, and it's one of the primary emotions inside of us that prevent our connection with God. So when you pray and long for, to God, long if you can't feel that you are this incredible creature, creation of God, then long for God to show you that you are. Long for God to teach you, and, and God will teach you by helping you release the emotion that's the opposite, of course. So you'll need to be willing to feel terrible in the process and allow that emotion to be released from you. You see, also God is merciful and non-judgmental. There's this common belief, and there, is, there are literally billions of spirits locked in the spirit world in different spheres who still believe that God is a punishing God. So whenever we hear of the term God nowadays on earth, a lot of times what we're hearing inside of us emotionally is this concept of God that is so damaging in our relationship with, with her. We believe that he, usually it is, is this vindictive and punishing and wrathful father. 
and if you don't do exactly what I say, I'm going to make you pay, right, is what the emotion is that we feel God has towards us. And often when we're going through painful experiences, that's exactly what we feel, that we're actually paying for, like God is punishing us for whatever we have done. That is not true, by the way. So these are untruths that need to leave us emotionally. So it's very, very important for us to start working through a lot of these emotional untruths when we start praying. So you imagine the difference in your feelings. If you could read that first line, our Father who is in heaven, we recognize that you are all holy and loving and merciful and that we are your children. Right? If you could read that and actually feel that you are God's child and feel that you're not sinful and depraved, if you could actually feel the feelings of that, can you see how much different you would feel about yourself for a start, let alone feel a much stronger connection with God? We know that we are the greatest of your creations and the most wonderful of all your handiworks and the objects of your great soul's love and tender care. God is better than any human parent. So if you can imagine the very best possible parent you could have ever had, God is, of course, far exceeding that person's qualities. So if that's the case, then God, why would they ever want to punish, why would God ever want to punish you? Why would ever God, why would God ever want to harm you? And why wouldn't God feel that you are the most wonderful thing that she has created? You see, most of the time, it's our own opinion of ourselves that prevents our, our connection with God. Now, like my opinion of myself, like in the first century, my opinion of myself was quite good. When I say quite good, it was, it was as God intended it to be. My, what I've experienced in this life is the terrible feelings of not having that opinion of yourself, a good opinion of yourself. And I am still working through those things right now, still working through and, and feeling about those terrible things. Just recently, one of the emotions, I watched the movie The Duchess. Have any of you seen that movie, The Duchess? My recommendation is to watch it, particularly if you're a woman who has a lot of anger issues. That would help you quite a lot, particularly anger issues with the opposite gender. And it would help you connect with a lot of those. But I watched this movie and, and I was just gutted by it. Um, and these feelings overwhelmed me of, of how, um, how much I felt responsible for how badly women have been treated over the last 2,000 years. And if you can think of 2,000 years of feeling like women have been treated badly, stuffed into one person, and, and then feeling like you're responsible for not undoing that, which is the emotion that I felt, you have some idea of what I was feeling. And a lot of my unworthiness with women, I found, was linked to that emotion. Does that make sense? Because Every time a woman come along, my first feeling was this terrible feeling for them of, oh, it's so sad that you've been hurt so much, do you know what I mean? And, and not interacting with them in a way that's actually loving because I'm trying to actually overcompensate for all the harm that women have received. And I connected to this harm that my soulmate uh, had received in the first century. She had 
a very difficult, Mary had a very difficult life in the first century, uh, both before I met her and after I passed. And, and this terrible feelings of responsibility for that um, just overwhelmed me. And I realized that a lot of my unworthy feelings uh, when I w- was with women were all about these emotions. So I had to really let myself feel them all and release them. Now, as I do that, as I did that, so I cried for, I think, a couple of hours that night. And as I did that, I could then feel a difference inside of myself about how I viewed myself. Because I've been viewing myself quite terribly when it comes to my relationship with women. And so that, that straight away started relieving that. And I can also, since then, and this only happened a few days ago, um, I can since then feel a stronger connection of joy and a stronger connection of love with God as a result of that. Does that make sense? Just releasing that one or two emotions. So now obviously I've had lots and lots of unworthy feelings to feel with because you know, there's been feelings like literally millions of people have died because they've known me. Um, just for that one reason I've had lots of feelings about you know, how that if you know me, it's bad news. Like, so that's all a feeling that I've carried with myself this life until very recently. And so I had to release that emotion as well. And as I release each one of these emotions, my opinion of myself improves. And as my opinion of myself improves, my joy improves, but I can also feel a much stronger connection with God as my opinion improves. So it's going to be the same for yourself. As you connect with different emotions inside of yourself, about how you view yourself, your opinion of yourself will improve and eventually your opinion of yourself will match God's opinion of you. Because at the moment, none of you have God's opinion of you. Here. You might think you do, but here you don't have it because if you had God's opinion of you right now, you would already be at one with God. Does that make sense? So we are not yet got God's opinion of ourselves. So that's a huge impediment to receiving divine love coming to appreciate God's opinion of yourself. And that's going to mean you giving up your own opinion of yourself. For for some of us, it means giving up this inflated opinion of ourselves. For some of us, it, it means giving up this really negative, disapproving opinion of yourself. Many of us are holding on to these opinions of ourselves for other reasons. And we, next week, when we talk about emotions of self-perception, you'll see what some of those other reasons might be but we hold on to opinions of ourselves to prevent ourselves from being the grand creation that we already are. We just don't believe that we're this grand creation. So it's been drummed into you by religion and by society and by politicians and by the economic system and by all sorts of means right from the time you were born but also all through your schooling years that if you are a grand being, you think too much of yourself. Hasn't it been drummed into you? What, what do we do in Australia to a tall poppy? We cut him down to size. Why do we do that? Because we want everyone to, be, to think as badly as themse- of themselves as what we think of ourselves. Does that make sense? It's a huge emotion in the human race that prevents connection with God. Allow yourself to pray about that with God. Long, long towards God to deal with that particular emotion. It's a big emotion that affects how much divine love you can receive. It's been my single biggest issue. I've been dealing with the issue for 12 years now and it's been my single biggest issue. 
And I've had literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of facets of it. And so my suggestion, you won't have that many, but I'm just saying that how deep the issue goes for many of us is so deep that it affects our very existence and everything that we can create. Your law of attraction is not operating as well as it could because of this emotion. Can you see that? If I have this feeling that I'm unworthy, what do you think I'm worthy to receive? For many of us, we think we're worthy to receive nothing. Right? So it's a huge emotion that needs to be dealt with in the human race and, and we can pray about and long to God to deal with that emotion. Let's look at the next one. We know that, you, that your will is that we become at one with you and partake of your great love which you have bestowed upon us through your mercy and desire that we become in truth your children through love and not through the sacrifice and death of any of your creatures. You see, God has this huge desire to be at one with you. As yet, your desire to be at one with God doesn't come near God's desire to be at one with you. Now, because God's exercising this desire constantly, all that is waiting, all that is needed for this thing, this at one process to occur is for your desire to finish up approaching, and it's never going to match, but at least it can begin to approach what God's desire to be with you is. But often what we do with it is that we believe that we come to God through sacrifice. Many of you have come to me asking me questions about sacrifice. If I sacrifice this, will that make me closer to God? If I sacrifice that, will it make me closer to God? You know, if I give up this, will that make me closer to God? A lot of times what we're doing is we're just redoing the same religious message, which is if you subject yourself to God, then you come closer to God. Now, there are literally billions of spirits in the sixth fear state who still believe this. They believe that if they subject their will to God's will, they will become at one with God. They actually believe that's what the state at one with God means. It, they feel that it means to subject their will. The truth is, what is going to happen to your will is your will will expand. Your will or your desires will expand in their expression as you become at one with God. So in actual fact, you'll be giving up less and less and less and you'll be actually getting what you desire more and more and more. The problem is, though, that often what we desire right now is totally disharmonious with love. So that's the things that we need to learn to give up. But if we understand and we start to understand inside of ourselves, even intellectually, that when I desire things disharmony with love, that's what creates my pain, then... I will start understanding the reason for giving them up. You see, every single thing that you need to give up on this path is something that is creating pain inside of you. Does that make sense? Every single thing that you will give up is actually creating your pain. None of it is creating your pleasure. You know, someone recently posted on the internet, I think, uh, that they thought they had to give up sex in the spirit world, right? Because there's no sex in the spirit world. No, why would God want you to give up something that's pleasurable? There's sex in the spirit world. There's just not sex for a lot of people in the spirit world, to be frank. There are literally millions of spirits in the sixth-fear state who don't have sex because they believe it's not holy. Does that make sense? 
They believe it to be wrong, so they don't do it. Yeah. So, so you know, they I can feel them come and visit me sometimes after myself and my lover have had sex, right? And I can feel them visit me and they say, you're not Jesus, you just had sex. <laughs> I can feel them do that. Right? They, they won't believe me. For, like, bright body, yeah, no worries, that's no worries, but you can't be Jesus, you wouldn't be having sex if you were. No, right? Because, because what God, God doesn't want you to give up your desires. God wants you to bring your desires into harmony with divine love. That is what's going to make you the happiest you could possibly be. So if I was going out having one night stands with somebody, then obviously that is going to create pain in my life. It's also going to create pain in everyone else's life who I'm having the one night stands with. And any children that are born from those interactions are also going to experience pain as a result of my actions. But if I bring all of my actions into harmony with God's love, then sex can be at its highest state. Just like every other emotion that you have will be at its highest state when you bring it into harmony with God's love. So for literally billions of spirits, there is no sex. So they come to people and they're saying, there is no sex in the spirit world, hang on to sex as long as you can. <laughs> right? But the reason why they have that reality is because they have these belief systems and emotional systems inside themselves that they haven't released yet that are the truth. No celestial spirit doesn't have sex unless they are alone and their soulmate is not with them yet. Then they don't. Does that make sense? So they have it in purity. Linda would like to ask a question about that issue. I think we're a bit off topic maybe, but I love this sex issue. Um, AJ, I don't understand how they can have sex in the spirit world because you're a soul. Um, so. You will find when you have soul sex that it's actually far more powerful than the physical sex act. So the problem with having a body in some ways is that when we're not fully connected with our emotions, our body is quite disconnected from our spirit body and it's quite disconnected from our soul's emotions. When, our, when all of that is flowing, what you will be actually having is not so much the physical response, but you'll have far more powerful emotions and far more powerful physical sens sensations in your soul than what you could ever experience in the physical form. That is still a sexual union. So why do they call it sex then if it's not... Well, that's because we call it sex on earth. So it's, we don't know it's the same it's sensations of okay, orgasm and everything. But it's not a physical... But it's, it's not an emotional because yeah, but see, most of most of most of almost everyone in the audience has never had a, this kind of sex. So all we can do is relate it to a physical response. Does that make sense? No, we don't. <laughs> that is one thing you are never getting a demonstration. Of. Never. Right. It's a, it's, he's a terrible man, isn't he? Um, <clears throat> these are things that you will experience on your progression, in your progression, as you release the emotions that block you. So, so remember that we're getting back to the subject of God. God doesn't want you, 
to give up your desires, right? So it's just all of the desires will become what the spirits in the celestial kingdom call holy. Now, holy doesn't mean that everybody is sitting around playing harps, (laughs) singing hallelujahs. That doesn't make you holy, right? No celestial spirit is like that. Every celestial spirit has a great sense of humour, but they are holy in the sense that they truly understand the joys and benefits and the actual connection with God. They feel Because they're at one with God, they're also in this state of divinity. So every single emotion that you have will be divine in its nature and it will be at its highest possible expression. And every single emotion that you have right now that is, that is opposite to that will have gone and it won't exist in you. Now, most people on earth then go down the track of, oh, you know, here we go again. He's just talking about utopian crap, you know, like most people, that's how they feel, isn't it? They just feel like this is just a utopian dream that mankind has for centuries, never happens. Well, in the future, this will happen if we start to deal with these negative emotions. See, most of us are holding on to all these positive feelings for grim death because they're, you know, they're the only joys we experience in our life, right? So we hold on to them, hold on to them, hold on to them, and often they're even gone by now, but we're still holding on to them, you know? Like 25 years ago, that's what happened, and they're still <laughs> holding on to it, right? Because it's just such a joyous experience, so we're holding on to it, but, but we don't want to experience everything. What God is going to ask of you in this process of one is to experience everything, and eventually all the things that are negative and painful will be released from you. And all the things that are joyful will be enhanced and expanded in their ability to be experienced. So the process we're going through at now is a bit like the process of having a splinter. Like most of you have had a splinter in your life, yes? Is there no one that's had a splinter in their whole life? I'm pretty amazing, but not had a splinter. Wow, you're a very lucky person. I had one a few weeks ago. In fact, I had about 20 a few weeks ago. And, and what, what happens with a splinter is a splinter goes in, and you might not notice it too much at the time, right, sometimes, but then all of a sudden you start feeling this irritation, don't you? Your body starts feeling this irritation, and you start... And I had one in, in this finger just last week. So, I was, you know, I didn't even notice it had gone in there until I looked at it, and oh, and it was putting the wood in the fire. So, so I'm rubbing this in, and the, the splinter is there. Now, your body, by this time, it's starting to produce... Uh, a whole series of events goes on in your body trying to get rid of this splinter. They all happen automatically, don't they? Like your body starts producing um, sort of different types of substances that wrap around the splinter to cushion the splinter from your, from your nervous system and so forth. And, and eventually, if you leave it long enough, maybe a year to five years sometimes, <laughs> like, or in some cases 10 years or 15 years, all of a sudden, wow, that piece of metal come out of me. My father said that to me once. He had a splinter in him for 22 years or something. But it, and often that's what happens, right? So, so the splinter comes out of you in a natural way. Well, I'd call that the natural love path. Does that make sense? Now, the divine love path, and, and what happens in that time? You're feeling the pain of it the entire time. But a lot of times it's not just a, like a big pain. It's like this constant irritation and annoyance with occasional bouts of pain when you poke it. Or, or when something bashes into it, right? Then you feel these constant, you know, feelings of pain. Most of the time you can ignore it and get yourself away from it, but sooner or later it keeps coming back to you. That's, that's what sin is like. Sin is like that. 
Sin is like this constant irritation. A lot of times we don't notice it, but when we bash it, bang, we notice it, just like the trigger happens. Like law of attraction brings you a trigger, and all of a sudden now you notice you've got that particular problem that you didn't know before. Driving along the road, fine driving along the road, I'm not afraid. You know, somebody cuts you off. You know, now what's happening is I am a, you know, I've just had a fear-based response, and now I'm angry at the person who created it. You know, that's when my splinter got touched. Does that make sense? Now, the divine love path is this path of where God just does an incision and pulls out the splinter, right? Now, you can see if God does an incision and pulls out the splinter, you can see that very rapidly all of the effects are all taken away, aren't they? Can you see that? In that one moment... That splinter is taken out. And, you know, you can have a splinter in your finger, can't you, or anywhere else in your body, and the moment you take it out, instant relief, isn't it? That's what it's like. You get this feeling of instant relief. So you have this beautiful feeling of instant relief. Why are you watching her doing that for? <laughs> like, am I not interesting enough? Okay. Thanks, Liz. It affects the, uh, the camera's exposure. Um, so, so if you imagine that God is like doing this little tiny operation on you with every, every single emotion that's in error. So remember, all sin is, is emotions in error, desires in error, beliefs in error that exist inside of me. So all God's doing is just doing this little incision and pulling it out. Right? That's the operation of divine love on your soul. This is what happens, is it pulls it out and you have instant relief. So that's like the divine love path. You, when you deal at the causal level with an emotion, you will get instant relief. If you're not getting instant relief, then it means you're not dealing with the causal level emotion. Does that make sense? Now, next week I'll talk about why we don't get instant relief when we're being emotional, because that's all to do with emotions of self-deception. But what I'm trying to illustrate at the moment is the difference between progressing on the natural love path and progressing on the divine love path. One way is this way where the body naturally, or things naturally occur through law of attraction events and everything, that eventually expels the problem from me. The other way, God's actually doing a decision, pulling it all out, and it's done there and then. I know what I'd prefer, just that little bit of pain taken out rather than this long-term, nagging, irritating pain that goes on for years and years and years and years. Many of our spirit friends with us today have experienced that, like 500 years of that, if you can imagine. You know what? It's, It's hard enough for you to experience one day of pain, isn't it? You imagine 500 years of it. Like as as Nero said in his channeling in the pageant messages, he could write volumes about the pain. But he said that Paget would never be able to understand it, the extent of his pain. So he let it pass. Right? So a lot of our spirit friends who are here today feel the same way. And what I'm trying to illustrate is how divine love works. Divine love actually can come and take these things out of us, but we need to allow the experience of the cutting open of the wound. Does that make sense? Which is a painful experience. And it's actually the painful experience is the sin entering us and when it gets pulled out. That's the painful experience. 
So any pain we experience on this state, in, in this state is either through complete denial of our emotions or through this process of having the problem, if we can call it the problem emotion, being pulled out of our body, being pulled out of our soul, which is our real body. So if you think about it, if you think about it like that, God doesn't want you to suffer. But because sin has, sin has entered us, because error has inter, entered us, we are going to suffer on this, on, on this progression. But our suffering is going to be very short and intense periods rather than this long, long hundreds of years experiences which most people go through. Does that make sense? There's a huge difference between those two states. Let's look at the next one. It says, we pray that you, God, will open up our souls to the inflowing of your love. And then, that then will come your Holy Spirit to bring your, into our souls this, your divine love in great abundance. You see, the opera, the Holy Spirit, a lot of people on the divine love path think that if they receive divine love, that that's what opens up their soul to receiving divine love. But that actually doesn't make much sense when you think about it. Your soul needs to open to divine love by other mechanisms. Once your soul becomes open to divine love, and it's through truth in particular that your soul opens to divine love. Once your soul opens to divine love, now the Holy Spirit, which is, remember that connection of truth between you and God, can connect. Now the divine love can flow. And what I've been describing up to now over the last 18 months is the process you'll need to go to to open up to divine love. Does that make sense? What I'm talking about today is how the divine love flows into you but up until now I've been discussing primarily what you need to do to your own soul to open up and part of it is praying to God to help you do that, to open up your soul to divine love. Now, what are the things that close down our soul? Well, you think about it, it's all to do with emotional or desire suppression. So when you suppress your desires or when you suppress your emotions, you are closing down your soul. You're not opening up your soul. So you can be praying all you like intellectually, please God help me open up my soul, and right at the same moment be closing down your soul. So is that now a prayer? No, because it's not a sincere desire. So my suggestion is to actually let yourself feel about the fears you have about opening up your soul. Right? Now, we talked about this last night, didn't we, with Paula, and we, had, we, we were talking about what, you know, many of us make decisions of something we're going to do in six months' time or in 12 months' time, right? So in 12 months' time, I'm going to leave my work and find another job. Why 12 months? Because you're suppressing your desires. Does that make sense? Because when, do you think when you're at one with God, you're going to suppress any desire? No. Do you think you're ever going to say, oh, in 12 months' time, I'll do that? No, you'll have a feeling and you'll do it. So why aren't you doing that now? If you're not doing that now, you're suppressing your desire. And no questions for the moment, if I can. You're suppressing your desire and so therefore you're suppressing your soul. When you suppress your soul, your prayer to God is, please, don't open up my soul. Can you see that? So live in harmony with your desires. You've got to, like, if I've got a prayer to God of opening up my soul, then I've got to live in harmony with that. Live in harmony, that means that I notice a desire inside of myself and I do it. Does that make sense? If I know it's in harmony with love, I do it. 
I don't delay it. I don't put it off for any reason, money or otherwise, you know, fear, friends, family, none of the reasons that we often put ourselves on us, don't put it off for that. Allow yourself to follow your desire. When you're in that state, you are saying to God, day by day you're saying to God, I'm open to receive your love. I'm open to experience your love. Does everyone follow that? Let yourself feel those desires and passions that you have that are harmonious with love and act on them immediately. Don't delay them. Don't put them off. Right? And if you not, can't act on them immediately because of some other thing, have a good cry about that because obviously there's an emotion being triggered as to why your law of attraction isn't automatically attracting that. So deal with that emotion, whatever that emotion be. You see, this is the thing is that we need to understand in this section is that, that God has an abundance of love for us and the Holy Spirit can only connect to us when we live in this true state. So we need, many of you have had moments of living in this true state already, right? But most of us don't have it every single moment of our lives because we're compromising so many things. We're compromising on our relationships with truth, with our family, with our friends, with, with people that we meet. Like, let, like, be honest, how many of you have told your friends that you're coming to listen to a guy who actually says he's Jesus? Right? Like, so about half. Right? Now, the other half, you're not living in truth. Now, you can say, oh, well, you know, I, all AJ's doing there is putting some emotional blackmail on me to go and tell my friends. I'm not, actually. I'm just saying to you that if I'm not living in truth, then I'm not activating the law of desire in my life. Does that make sense? So I'm not saying you have to do anything. What I'm saying is that every disharmony with truth, every cover over of truth that you do, you're actually proving to yourself that you're never going to get to the state of living in your desire while you stay in that state. So deal with that emotion. What are you afraid of about telling the truth? Deal with that emotion. Does that make sense? Let yourself experience what you're afraid of. Right? And as you do that, you will release this, the emotion. Notice the next section says, until our souls are transformed into the very essence of yourself. You see, that prayer is telling us what's going to happen to us. If we receive divine love and receive divine love and receive divine love and we continue to do that, eventually our soul will be transformed and we will be like God. In the first century, I'd say to people quite often that they needed to be like God. And, they, and, and even religiously today, when people read those words, they go, that's totally impossible. Like, No, it's not. It's not impossible to be like God. Because that's what happens when you receive divine love to the one state, you become like God. You become like God in all of your emotions and desires and passions. That doesn't mean you are God, because you're still God's child, but you become like God in the way in which you express everything. That's what happens to you. And as that happens to you, you will find all your joys will expand and all of these beautiful experiences will expand because of you being in that state. And then I said... That, and that there will come to us faith, such faith that will cause us to realize that we are truly your children and at one with you in very substance and not in image only. You see, 
the divine love entering you causes you to have more faith that the divine that God exists. Right? So for many of the spirits who are here today who don't believe God exists or believes God's wrathful, if they just allow themselves to open up to love and open up to this loving feeling that they and longing, what would happen is God's love would enter them and they'd straight away confront that belief, wouldn't they? But see, a lot of times what happens is that we stay in a belief that prevents us acting and we stay in that state for ages and ages and ages, many times hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years just because we don't want to act. This is one of my major problems at the moment is I am so afraid about how big things will get that I'm trying to keep them at a certain, you know, at a certain level. Do you know what I mean? I'm trying to keep everything at a certain level because I'm afraid that it's going to get really big and I don't think I'm going to cope with that. There's an emotion in me that causes me to feel that. It's just a fictitious emotion. I know that, but it still feels powerful until I release it. Does that make sense? And that's how it is for your life too. Often there will be lots of these things that are limiting your life and you don't, you're not going to have faith until you stop allowing them from limiting your life and start acting upon the truth and see the change. But we're often so afraid of change. We're often so scared of how good we're going to be. right? And that causes us to actually step back from practicing the truth. So on the, so the prayer confronts that feeling within us. Then it says, let us have such faith as will cause us to know that you are our Father, that the bestower of every good and perfect gift, and that only we ourselves can prevent your love from changing us from the mortal to the immortal. So firstly, before you experience divine love to the point of atonement, you will not be immortal. What's immortality? Immortality is this gift that God gives when you become at one with her that you can never, ever, ever die. Your soul can never die. Until that time, it is not known whether your soul will die or not. Does that make sense? The reason why it, we only know that the one condition is the condition in which our soul can never die is because to... If we died, then a part of God's love would die. And that's a total impossibility. So after you become at one with God, you are fully conscious of your own immortality. In the spirit world and all through history, many people have been discussing what creates immortality. And there is this constant belief in the New Age movement now that immortality is a given that your soul is actually immortal from the day it was created. In other words, it can never die. Not that it will never die, but it can never. Like that. But that's not true. The only time you're going to know that for certain, and you'll feel it as an emotion in you, and when you feel it as an emotion in you, do you think you're going to be afraid of death? No. Do you think you're going to be afraid of pain even? No. You won't be afraid of anything when you feel this as an emotion in you. When you feel immortality as an emotion in you, you will feel that you will never, ever die. And you will feel it. And it doesn't matter what happens to you, you will feel that inside of you. Now, can you imagine how freeing that is? Nothing ever scares you after that. Nothing. Not a single thing. Many of you in the future may, may finish up being in front of thousands of people talking to them. Right at the moment, 
you'd be petrified doing that. Does that make sense? But when you're in that condition, it won't phase you one single bit. It'll have no effect on you emotionally. You'll just enjoy it. Does that make sense? Because of that belief entering you. Now, those beliefs enter you because, like, you say, like it says there, that God is the bestower of every good gift. You see, what we don't realise too on, this, on, on the natural love path is that we don't realise that we are God-sufficient. We, we feel self-sufficient. We're not reliant on God, we're reliant on ourselves. Does that make sense? And, and one thing that we realise on the divine love path is actually that's not even true. Every single person in the universe, firstly, is God-reliant, even whether they don't believe in God or not. But on the divine love path, you choose God-reliance right across the board emotionally. So you no longer become afraid of what you're going to eat tomorrow, for example, where you're going to get the next dollar from. None of those emotions will ever, ever pass you again once you're in that state. All right? Why? Because you know God is going to give you absolutely everything you desire that's harmonious with love, and surely your own survival is harmonious with love. So you would never even consider your own survival anymore. You think of how many of your emotions right at the moment in any one day or any one week are surrounding you surviving materially. You won't have any of those emotions anymore. And to be frank with you, if you have them now, that means that there's some emotional injuries that need to be worked through. Allow them, let them be confronted and released from you and then deal with them. But notice the next bit was, let us ever, never cease to realise that your love is waiting for each and all of us and that when we come to you in faith and earnest aspiration, your love will never be withheld from us. Many people come to me and say, look, I've been longing for divine love for a year now and I've not felt it enter me. But what does that part of the prayer say? If you long for it in sincerity, you will always get it. That's what it says, doesn't it? And that's the truth. So if you have longed for divine love for a year now and not received any, then the truth is you haven't longed for it. Now that's a really confronting thing to cope with, isn't it? Do you see why? Because we think we've put all this effort into it and we've got nowhere. Like, it's a terrible feeling to feel that, isn't it? To feel that feeling that we've got nowhere and we've had all this what we thought was sincere effort. But we need to come to understand this truth really deeply. God always will give you her love if you have a sincere longing for it. So if I'm not receiving her love right at this moment, then it means right at this moment I don't have a sincere longing for it. Does that make sense Yeah, to everyone? Is there a question about that? If you haven't experienced divine love, how do you know when you've got it? Um, you, and this also applies, there was a spirit prompting you to ask this question, you and every spirit who has never received divine love will know there will be a sensations you will feel and also probably lots of tears you will feel as you receive it. So you will know in the instant that you get it. Right? That's the beauty of it. Now many of you have got it 
and got it because of what you thought was another reason. Do you know what I mean? Like you were at a music thing, like I was saying earlier. Does that make sense? And all of you had these overwhelming emotions of, oh, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it amazing? You know, this, and, and it projected an emotion in that instant to God and then received some divine love and it made you cry. Now, many of you didn't realize at that moment that you were actually longing for divine love. Does that make sense? But whenever you long for it, you will receive it. And after a while, you become very conscious of what it feels like. Right at the start, you're not conscious of what it feels like at all because you've never received it before. But you'll see the pattern generate as you receive it more and more. Is it possible that um, I have potentially received it in the past but I, I didn't know it as divine love? There's a very high likelihood that all of you have received divine love in the past because, it, because you're attracted to this message already, right? It's very unusual for a person to be attracted to the message and not already haven't received some divine love. Okay. So many of you are maybe not conscious that you have because you've had these other experiences which were emotional in your life, times when you were at your wit's end and you were crying and things like that. A lot of times you received divine love then and you attributed it to something else. Now what will happen in the future is you become more and more conscious that you're actually receiving divine love in those moments. In the end, you'll get to a state where you receive it all the time, so you have a constant connection with God, and that's when you're at one with God. Now, that is quite a confronting issue. You see, most people want to hear that, oh, if you've been trying hard, oh, it's lovely. <laughs> Don't you? Like, you know, and if you've been trying real hard for a year, oh, surely, you've definitely received some by now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And uh, this is something we talked about in the Paget messages quite a lot because there is this constant desire that most people have to falsify events in order to cheer people up. And on the divine love path, you won't want to do that, right? So, so what we were trying to do with the Paget messages is to describe, in fact, to people the process of receiving divine love and all of those kind of things, and to show them that many people believe they've received it when they actually haven't, right? because they weren't projecting sincere longings at God. Now, let's look at sincere longings. Now, I've said this before to you quite often. Remember, if you have a longing for another person, the person's over here, I've got a longing for them, I make a step towards them, and usually what happens then is that all of these emotions start kicking in, don't they? Oh, how many of you have had an emotion with me that you've come to want to, you want to talk with me, so you start coming up to talk to me, and then you think, ah, oh, oh, like good, good three quarters of you have done this, right? And, oh, 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 no, 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 and you don't, and it doesn't happen, right? So what happened to your desire? At the start, it was pure, wasn't it? And then what started coming up? All right. My suggestion is don't overcome them. Just sit in the chair and feel them. Don't bother talking to me. Right? Don't force yourself to talk to me under those circumstances. This is a law of attraction event, allowed, just perfectly placed for you to connect with some emotions of unworthiness. So sit down and feel how unworthy you feel just to even talk to me. Does that make sense? Let yourself feel that emotion. When you feel that emotion, you know what's going to probably happen? I might come and talk to you because the law of attraction will have changed in you. Do you see that? So a lot of times that's what happens. Right? Now, we're exactly the same with God. Can you see? 
Oftentimes we start making a pure connection with God and then all of these things, these emotional things inside of us kick into place. You know, we start feeling unworthy and we start, you know, start feeling like God wouldn't want us anyway and we start going through all of these different emotions. We need to feel them. It is those emotions that prevent our connection with God. So feel them. Don't force yourself to pray under those circumstances. Allow yourself to just, like you wouldn't force yourself to come and talk with me if you felt those emotions. Sit with them. Feel them. Feel what's inside of you that's causing you to feel the way you feel. Allow it to be triggered. Just the act of walking towards something often triggers it. So in my case, you know, when I first saw Mary... I was like, and I couldn't, I was, I was, I was saying, she, she often said, she has said to me quite a few times, like, like, why didn't you speak to me? <laughs> like, well, because, you know, I was all mixed up and, and to be frank, I had this emotion in me of unworthiness with her. Does that make sense? And, and that emotion got triggered the instant I met her. And so I had to work through those emotions. I had to feel about that. And it's exactly the same in your relationship with God. Like, you need to feel the emotions that you feel that are preventing you from actually connecting. And it would have been really good if I'd felt good about myself and gone up to Mary and picked her up and said, Girl, you're mine, you know, like Tarzan style. And, you know, like, I'm sure that would have triggered some of her emotions. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, like, when I look back on it, I would have really liked to have done that. But, um, but, you know, it's too late now because I had all of these other emotions which were being triggered, right? And often that's the case with our relationship with God too. We have all of these other emotions being triggered. We need to be truthful and honest and open about them all. All right, so what's next? Keep us in the shadow of your love every hour and moment of our lives and help us to overcome all temptations of the flesh. What would you classify as a temptation of the flesh? Yeah, let's define all of these temptations of the flesh. Temptations of the flesh are when your fleshly desires overcome the love that's in your soul and cause you to do things which are, in the end, become painful to you. Does that make sense? So temptations of flesh are when you have these fleshly desires that are in you that are stronger than the desire for love, the pure desire for love in your soul, and they cause all of your pain. Now, for example, a temptation of the flesh is not sex. Right? Sex is not a temptation of flesh in its pure form, but it can be a temptation of the flesh. Can you see why? Because I could have a desire for sex and I don't care whether I love the person or not, now I'm in the temptation zone. Does it, can you see that? And if I act upon that, I'm going to harm myself and the other person. Can you see that? If my desire was in harmony with love, that would be a totally different situation. And this is why a lot of you have got to the part, you know, you're okay playing the field, you know, or um, I was talking um, with Simon earlier, and he was just saying about the, you know, you know, you meet a woman, yeah, let's play, you know, like, you know, there's that feeling. But now that can't happen anymore. That, and you feel like it can't happen anymore once you've received a certain amount of divine love. Because what happens inside of you is, no, I need to have a meaningful 
interaction. I can't just do this non-meaningful thing, you know, anymore. And so that stops happening. So the temptations of the flesh are these desires and passions and unhealed emotions within us that cause us to act upon fleshly desires. So let's look at how they affect us. All of us love food, yeah? But if I become a glutton and I'm starting to get bigger and bigger and bigger, what's going on? What's going on now? I'm in the temptation of the flesh mode. Can you see that? Right? And let's all of us love to, to, to drink, right? Um, I love to drink water myself, but um, I know many of you still love to drink alcohol. But the temptation of the flesh is to drink more and more and more and more, to become gluttonous with it, and that obviously is going to affect you. So, so just the aspect of what happens to with these, us with these temptations shows us the emotions that we need to avoid. And, and the prayer is saying, saying, please God, help me avoid these temptations of the flesh. So here I am, I'm smoking away, right? there's my temptation of the flesh, right? Why is it a temptation? Because I'm smoking, if I'm smoking, and, it's, and I don't mean to offend anyone who's still smoking, and by the way, you're allowed to keep smoking. Um, I'm smoking, <laughs> right? You're allowed to do anything, you've got free will. So um, you're allowed to kill yourself anytime you want. Um, so, <laughs> it's true. So I'm smoking, right, which is actually destroying a part of my body. It's well known that it's destroying a part of my body, but I'm smoking. Why am I smoking? Because I'm looking for a feeling. What's the feeling? Most of the time when I'm smoking, by the time I get addicted to it, I'm looking for the feeling of satisfaction. There's this feeling of, what is the feeling? The feeling of being calm, the feeling of having something to do, the feeling, you know, whatever the feeling is that's driving me to have the cigarette, right? The temptation of the flesh is I am using this physical tool to actually avoid the emotion, right? And I'm allowing my body's desire for this physical tool to dominate my soul. So that's what a temptation of the flesh is. Now, if I'm doing that, in that moment, I'm actually not praying to God, please help me avoid the temptation of the flesh. Can you see that? Because right at that moment, what I'm saying to God is, give me as many temptations as possible. I love this temptation of my flesh. Right? <laughs> That's really what I'm saying. Now, you're allowed to do that. God's not going to say, you naughty boy, this lightning bolt for you. You know, <laughs> God's not going to do that, right? What God's going to do is that God's going to not respond to your prayer because you're not in truth. And you need to be in truth if you're going to receive divine love. So you can smoke and be in divine love. Like you can receive some divine love and smoke, right? I'm not saying that, you know, you will never receive divine love if you're smoking. Ned Paget smoked. James, like James Paget, who wrote the Paget message, smoked. He never got above the third sphere because of it, right? We often try to address it with him, and unfortunately, a lot of his personal messages weren't included in the Paget messages, which is sad because we often tried to address the issue with him, but he avoided the issue. He wanted to avoid the emotional reason why he needed this temptation of the flesh. Does that make sense? So what the prayer is doing is addressing these issues. It's saying, why do you want to avoid these things? Why do you want to not deal with those things? They're all blocking your relationship with God. And then the next part says, help us overcome all temptations of the flesh and the influence of the powers of the evil ones who constantly surround us and endeavour to turn our thoughts away from God to the pleasures and allurements of the world. You see, 
because of our temptations of the flesh, which are to do with our avoidance emotions, spirits surround us who want to utilise those emotions for their own power and benefit. Right? Many of you are experiencing this in your day-to-day life now. When you get on the divine love path in particular, lots of spirits don't like you being on it. Right? And what they do is they scan your body, your spirit body, they can scan really easily and they say, oh, problem there, oh, problem there. Oh, pro-. They don't care about how the good things are. You know? They don't, you know, they don't think about how you've got a beautiful heart and all loving, none of that. Problem there, problem there, problem there. Oh, problem there. This person really wants to have sex with lots of people. I'm going to put that, like create that around them as much as I can so that I can connect with their sexual feelings and enjoy some sex myself through them. Uh, Spirits can do that, right? So what they do is they focus in on your emotional injury that you are denying within yourself and then they utilise that injury to their benefit. Now, many of you are not dealing with your emotional injuries about doubts about me. Many of you still have lots of feelings about me. I don't, you don't, I don't mean that you've got to believe on Jesus, but what I'm saying to you, many of you have doubts about my character. Right? Many of you feel emotions right, that are things like, can I really trust him? I don't know if I can trust him. But we've been 18 months together and you still can't trust me, right? Many of you can't trust me still, right? And you feel that I'm like, like some, going to be some kind of cult leader in the future or something like that, or that I'm going to sometime, somehow ask you for extra money or somehow, or I'm going to somehow... You know, when, when Peter sent out the posting about the Divine Love Sanctuary, some, some emails come back to him saying, oh, now we know what AJ's up to. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Now... Now, all that is, is not dealing with emotions of doubt, right? Emotions of doubt of my character, right? You're allowed to have them. Like, I'm perfectly well to continue them the rest of your life. That's fine, because that's your free will. But what I'm saying is, when you don't deal with an emotion like that, what happens is a spirit comes along. Oh, doubt. I can use that. And at the moment, there's a whole group of spirits who really want to give me a hard time. They can't give me a hard time personally so much, so what they try to do is connect with as many people as they can around me to, give, to get them to give me a hard time. Does that make sense? And so, so what they do is they try to actually connect with... Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> I was just thinking about the law of attraction of that. And, and, uh, and that was totally spirit-driven. But anyway, we'll talk about that another time. But interestingly enough, many spirits want to connect with your unhealed emotions that you don't want to recognize within yourself. So, for example, if you have an emotion of arrogance in yourself, what's going to happen is you're going to attract lots of people telling you you're you're really great, right? And you'll reject all the people who don't tell you you're great, of course, but you'll attract the people who do tell you they're great, and there'll be spirits around you who want to tell tell you that you're great so that, I mean, greater than everyone else, so that eventually what will happen inside of you, you know, they can actually manipulate you in such a way to manipulate that arrogance into doing things they want. 
Right? Then there's other spirits who do that with sex and there's other spirits that do that with alcohol and there's other spirits that do that with drugs and there's other spirits that do that just with emotions of anger towards men or emotions of anger towards women. Do you see what I'm saying? It's so easy to influence you if you don't own your own emotion. When you deny your own emotion, that's when you are heavily influenced. How would a spirit use arrogance as a tool? If I believe I'm better than I am, right, and, and, and I could influence lots of people negatively, and a spirit who is feeling powerless wants to have some power, he can connect to me through my arrogance and cause me to say things to that group of people I might not normally have said just to get a response back to them that they feel powerful. So this happens a lot of times with mediumship, for example, where a medium might be in a state of arrogance and so a spirit connects with them and then they connect with lots and lots of people telling them a heap of untruths, which the spirit believes is true and the person believes is true in their own arrogance, and now lots of falsehood is disseminated just from that one event. So that a spirit can connect through any emotion, any emotion, disharmon- disharmonious, disharmonious with love or harmonious with love. The key is, if they are disharmonious with love, we need to face them and deal with them inside of ourselves. Every fear you have is manipulatable. Coca-Cola manipulates you every day. Right? People say, I manipulate them, honestly. I'm just, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to do it compared to Coca-Cola. <laughs> Coca-Cola say in their adverts, like, what, Diet Coke? Sexy, hey? You get a sexy woman in a bikini, you know, drinking a Diet Coke. What's that saying to you? You'll be sexy like this if you drink a Diet Coke. Now, if you have an emotion inside of you that connects with that, you'll go and buy a Diet Coke for the first time. You never bought it before and you'll go and do it. That's the whole point of marketing, isn't it? That's why marketing is not really harmonious with divine love because it actually is used to manipulate people's emotions it doesn't help them resolve their emotions. It helps them, it acts upon their negative emotional state to do what the marketer wants. Does that make sense? That's how many times in our lives we're manipulated. Why did you buy the iPod? Because you were manipulated most of the time. Does that make sense? Or was it a pure desire? Did you buy the iPod because your next door neighbour had an iPod? Why have you got a mobile phone? Is it because, in, because your mates bought a mobile phone and you haven't got one? What, often that's what motivates us. You're hip if you do this. You're great, you know what I mean? That's what motivates many of our choices and decisions. Well, why do I go and buy a V8 car when a four-cylinder job will do just as much job and cause less pollution? Right? Because the V8 car gives me an emotion that the four-cylinder one doesn't. Like, I've, I've had the emotion myself. I went and bought a sports car, in, you know, like this was 10 years ago or so. I went and bought a sports car. Might not have even been 10 years ago. It might have been eight, nine years ago or something. I bought a sports car looking for the emotion. Right? <coughs> Driving around in my sports car, pretty good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 240 k's up the highway. <laughs> Fair dinkum, I did. Like, and... Yeah, Jesus was a maniac. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I was driven by the emotion. I once remember a conversation I had with a with a fellow, a friend of mine who who is a multimillionaire, and he said, 
he said, you know, one thing you haven't learnt yet, saying to me, one thing you haven't learnt yet is that no matter how powerful the car is, the next car you'll want will be more powerful. <laughs> and that's true. I hadn't learnt that. I hadn't, and what do I drive around in now? I've got a 1994 Hyundai XL, 1.5 litre. <laughs> um, Mary still feels I'm a maniac though, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> but, the, but the emotion that drove me was there. And the marketing system and everything else was based around the emotion. Does that make sense? And that's how you're manipulated, through your unhealed emotions. Right? This is how the world manipulates you. This is also how spirits manipulate you. So when we have the prayer to lead us away from the influence of the powers of the evil ones or powers of spirits who are evil in their nature, who surround us and turn us away from God, right? what are we saying? What we're saying is that I have a sincere desire in my heart to no longer focus on all of these allurements of the world that are before me, but now I'm going to focus on my soul development because that's going to bring me everything else anyway, right? So it's my soul development that brings me everything else. So if I focus on my soul development, all these other things will be added to me. If I understand that emotionally, I won't be focused on all the allurements of the world, if we could call it that. This is what I meant in the first century of being in the world but no part of it. Right? So what I'm doing there is I'm in the world, I live in the world, but I'm no part of it because I'm not drawn into its allurements. And in that state, if I own all of my emotions and I'm praying to God for, for this, then what will happen is these spirits who have been heavily influencing most of us over this last 18 months period will have far less influence upon us. Does that make sense? And by the way, they've influenced all of, us all of our lives and that's because of these unhealed emotions. So once we focus on that and we pray to God, what we're really saying to God is, I want to deal with everything inside of me that causes an attraction between me and these spirits. I want to actually deal with it emotionally rather than living in the expression emotion, if you could call it that. So, you know, when I went out and bought the sports car, I was living in the expression emotion. But I hadn't learnt the truth yet. And I'm not saying sports cars are wrong. In the future, there'll be these lovely sports cars that uh, levitate that, that actually won't produce any, any emissions whatsoever and that you actually create with your power of your soul and you'll be able to drive them anywhere you want if you want to. But I don't know why you'd want it because I, you'll also be able to teleport. So anyway, <laughs> you know. But you know, these things are all available to you. And in the spirit world, there is locations in the first and second sphere where these things exist. And so, um, you know, you will actually be able to do those things if you want. Of course, your desire for it changes as you grow in love. And so in a lot of times, what you think you want now changes quite markedly. But can you see the power of the prayer in the sense of exposing the connection between how spirits can influence you and your connection with God? Like, so many of you will notice that. If you read the pageant messages even daily, you'll notice that you'll feel a different type of connection. Just that action of reading the pageant messages does that. Because you're actually associating with a whole group of other spirits when you do that. Because all the spirits who say, you know, all the spirits who want you to go down and party down the street and pick up a woman and take her home, they're not there when you're reading the pageant messages. <laughs> They're with somebody else who wants to go down a party and take, you know, that's who they're with. 
Now, the instant you put them down, you might still have that desire in you and then they might be able to influence you. But can you see how just the action of actually raising your own spiritual desires causes you to disconnect from spirits around you? When you deal with the emotion completely, of course, the spirit can't even influence you at all. So the truth is, right at this moment, I am still being influenced by spirits because I've got unworthiness things. So what do the spirits want? They want me to stay unworthy. Why do they want me to stay unworthy? If I stay unworthy, I won't do more teaching of truth. If I don't do more teaching of truth, less truth will get out there, right? So they want me to stay unworthy. So how do they do that? They get people to send me emails. You are not Jesus. What do you think you're doing? I just had one a few days ago. You know, someone put in bold letters, you are Alan John Miller. (laughs) Don't, Don't you think you're Alan John Miller? Like, can't you see that's the truth, you know? And, you know, of course, I've had lots of those emails uh, over five years, as you can imagine that, right? So, you know, I've had lots of people trying to tell me what they think I should feel about myself. Um, and in the past, a lot of the time, I've taken it on. Like, I've taken on those projections. But the fact that I'm still getting them means I've still got some unworthiness issues to work through. Can you see? Like, so, so I need to work through them. So, so, you know, right now, all of us are being still influenced by different spirits through these different emotions that we're not releasing. In my case, it's this, this big, big fear of what's going to happen in the future. You know, the, the last time I began my ministry, it lasted three and a half years, resulted in my crucifixion and, and terrible and painful emotions in my, in my, in my, my wife and in my child. Like, that's what happened last time. Do you think I'm afraid of that happening again? Right, right at the moment, yeah. Right? So I've got to work through that emotionally. Does that make sense? Right? So, so once I work through that emotionally, that won't be there. The law of attraction will be different. Everything will work through. But it means me working through it emotionally. There are many things you're afraid of, right? About living in truth. How many of you are afraid just to tell your mothers that, no, mum, I don't want you controlling my life anymore? Right? <laughs> Many of us are grown adults and we're still in that state, aren't we, where we're afraid of that. So we're afraid, so let yourself tell your mother that and let the emotions rise up. Those emotions prevent the connection with God. What's next? We thank you for your love and the privilege of receiving it. And we believe that you are our Father, the loving Father who smiles upon us in our weakness and is always ready to help us and take us into your arms of love. You see, God, God's like just constantly surrounding you. God is constantly surrounding you, trying to give you every single thing that God has the power to give you, but which at the moment you don't have the power or the willingness to receive. But God's there doing that. And if we pray for that, if we understand that God's this God that's smiling upon us and not castigating us, not trying to punish us or be wrathful with us, then we'll go a lot farther in our connection with God than if we believe the other things. Can you see why many Christians don't get further than the second or third sphere while they're on earth, even if they're receiving divine love? Because they believe God to be a punishing God who punishes the wicked and who punishes all of my sins that are, you know, that I've committed in the past that I, you know, didn't deal with. And that's not what God's like. Right? And many of us have those holdover beliefs. 
still within us that need to be released from us so that we can come to see that God is actually this beautiful, loving person who just wants us. And then notice I've said we pray this with all the earnestness and sincere longings of our souls and trusting in your love give you all the glory and honour and love that our finite souls can give. You see, to actually connect with God, we've got to trust quite a lot of things initially. After a while, what happens is that we start receiving the divine love and we don't need to trust them anymore because it's reality then. So at the beginning, this period that we're going through, this beginning period, it's often very difficult because we, we don't trust things and we don't trust God and we don't trust God exists all the time. And to be frank, many times in our lives when you're going through a, de- a really hard emotion, you, you don't feel like God's around you, do you? Even though God's right there next to you, you don't feel God's there. And so what happens a lot of times is we get embroiled in that emotional state and we forget the truth. And the truth is that God's always around us wanting to connect to us. And God deserves your love and God deserves your honour and God deserves your respect. God deserves those things from you. Of course, you don't have to give them. I'm not saying God expects them from you. I'm just saying God deserves them. Right? And at some point in our inside of us, we need to start to feel whether that's the truth or not. So now, in briefly covering the, the, the prayer... The outline, you'll notice in the outline that there's lots and lots of things I haven't covered, like lots of points about God that I haven't covered. So my suggestion is to actually allow yourself to go home now and over the coming weeks, re-go over that outline and start looking and feeling about things about God. This is all about your connection with God. The divine love path isn't about emotional processing. The divine love path isn't about the law of attraction. It does involve those things, but it isn't about it. What it's really about is your connection directly with God. And when you do that, all these other things will be added to you, right? So my suggestion is to focus on that completely. Mary, you want to say something about that? You don't? You're just going to scratch something. Sorry? I just wanted to, but are you in the middle of saying something? No, no, go. <laughs> I'm always in the middle of something, you know. <laughs> um, now, <laughs> that was too much for her. <laughs> I, I just wanted to try and express um, sort of that I have um, been starting to re-establish my connection with God and I wanted to try and express just how beautiful this is, how much love is available to all of us, every single one of us and um, it's really an emotional place and how um, when I'm having a connection with God, how much love I actually feel for God as well. It's a a very... uh, in the beginning, I used to think, oh, receiving divine love, you know, it's all about what we're going to get from God and it never felt good to me. Mm. And it, it is because I have these really deep feelings of gratitude and um, thankfulness to God. And when I'm experiencing those things and experiencing the love f- from God, um, 
it's it's just an amazing thing and and I just wanted to try and reassure everyone that it's it's available for all of us and um, it's just a, a wonderful thing yeah. yeah it's oftentimes when you when I don't know if you've felt this yourself yet um, many of you I know have when you're sitting down and you're actually feeling about how wonderful God is like and how wonderful it is that you're even learning all the things you're learning now like many of you, have been seeking for 20, 30, 40 years, you know, these, what's the truths of the universe? Many of you have been feeling that, right? And then when you start hearing the truths of the universe, hearing actually God's truths, and they all, like, they all fit together like a glove, like, don't they? And they, they all just fit together nice and neatly. Everything where you understand everything as it goes. It all is just so perfect. And you start feeling about the person who made that and how wonderful that person who made that is. When you start allowing yourself to feel that inside of yourself, these, these powerful emotions come from your soul to God. And in that moment that those powerful emotions leave you is the moment you also begin receiving divine love. And many of you have had that experience. So get to know God. Like, allow yourself to... Think about God more. Allow yourself to meditate about God more. So instead of meditation being a practice of, you know, laying down on the bed and taking yourself maybe out of body or taking yourself into this nice quiet place and then focus on nothing, instead of doing that, why not add this other element? During that state, allow yourself to feel about God. And you'll notice your meditation just changes into prayer really rapidly and you'll start feeling these things from God then. Because it's like every, every moment, there's things, there'll be talks in the future where I'll be talking about God's qualities and God's attributes. And, and they are so numerous that you know, we could talk for hundreds of years about them and still not cover the subject. But there'll be things that I cover that just like about, even about God being a mathematician or a scientist or, but also these other aspects of God, love, joy, peace, these aspects of wisdom, knowledge, power, all these other aspects of God. When you start adding it all together and you start realizing how awesomely powerful God is, but also how infinitely loving she is, then you start having these feelings generate in you about God. But you see, while I believe inside of my mind that God's punishing and wrathful and you know that God's going to punish me for my sins and all that, how can I have those feelings? I can't, can I? And so naturally those feelings are going to disconnect me from God. So what I'd like to encourage you to do over the coming weeks and months is to actually begin really focusing on your relationship with God and using that relationship as a means to work through emotions. You see, up to now what we're doing is a lot of emotional processing, working through things and finding out what the emotions are intellectually and then delving into them emotionally. But actually the faster way of dealing with all of our emotions is connect directly with God. See, if you're not receiving divine love right at the moment, it's because there's an emotion blocking it. So talk to God about that. I'm not receiving love because there's an emotion blocking it. Please show me through your law of attraction what that emotion is. The very next moment, generally, we'll find it. 
But if not then, then certainly over the coming days we'll find what that emotion is that's preventing it. As soon as you release it, you'll be able to long for God's love and think about God and feel God and you'll actually feel a feeling into you and you'll know that that's God connecting back with you. So allow yourself to start developing this relationship with God. This is what the divine love path is all about. It's not about all these wonderful truths that are very, very external to you. It's about what's going on in your internal relationship between you and God. Nothing else, really, in the end. All of those other beautiful truths, which all of you have been so attracted to for the majority of your lives, will all come to you if you develop this relationship first. Now, those truths may come to you over a period of time if you develop other relationships instead of this relationship with God, but you'll never understand them until you receive the divine love to understand them. So do that first. Focus on that relationship with God first. When you focus on that relationship and long for God's love to enter you, what will happen is you will feel this two-way conversation, which is an emotional conversation between you and God. And you will know God exists. That is the way, in fact, you will prove to yourself God exists. Right? And no one will ever be able to shake that in you. And you'll get to the point when you've received enough divine love to be at one with God that no one will ever be able to shake any of the knowledge in you. You will feel the truth inside of your being and you will become outspoken about it. You will have no fear about it. You will know it's the truth inside of yourself. You will become a person who speaks in knowledge, not, not in knowledge of intellectual knowledge, but you'll become a person who speaks in full emotional knowledge of the truth, that you've actually personally experienced it. That's what will happen to you. So my suggestion is to really contemplate this stuff about praying for divine love and praying for divine truth. They are the two greatest things that you could ever pray for and allow yourself to start understanding God's nature and let yourself feel and meditate about God's nature and connect to God. Allow that to occur and your soul will expand a lot more rapidly than if you try to circumvent that or you get interested in other things. And the beauty of doing that is all of your spirit communication will all grow very rapidly as a result. All of your joy will grow rapidly as a result if you do it that way. If you do it the other way, where you're focused on these other emotions, you're focused on natural love, you're not so focused on God, you want to connect with your spirit guide and all those things, it will be much slower for you. So allow yourself to do what's going to be the most powerful thing. And I know right at the moment many of, us, many of you may feel like, oh, you know, God doesn't feel real to me. So say that to God. You don't feel real to me. I don't know why, but I would like you to feel real to me. Like, how do I do that? And notice what happens in your law of attraction. What is then attracted to you? Say to God the things you feel. Does that make sense? Just be honest with God. Because remember, connection with God is all about honesty and truth. So that's what I would like to encourage you to do. Now, the reason why I've uh, created next week uh, a talk about emotions of self-deception is that a lot of the times we think we're doing things emotionally, working through things emotionally, but a lot of times what we're doing is creating emotions because we'd rather not do something. Right? 
And many of you, is what I'm finding when I, when I feel about many of your own progression is that many of you are creating emotions inside of yourself that are not real causal emotion experiences. Right? Even for some of you, some of you have said to me that some of you with self-worth issues don't actually have a self-worth issue, for example. Some of you with issues with the opposite gender don't actually have an issue with the opposite gender in some ways. Like, so some of you have said, oh, the opposite gender has hurt me so much and you're going through those emotions, but I'm actually feeling, no, no, actually, you've hurt the opposite gender far more than they've hurt you and they're the emotions you need to go through. Does that make sense? So what we need to do is look at the truth about our emotional state. So that's what we'll be looking at next week. And hopefully some of you will be brave enough to share some of the things. Now, what I'm doing next week, or what I've considered doing, and I, I, I might have to ask for your permission, uh, although I'm tempted not to, but anyway. <laughs> so like, many of you are posting publicly on the internet your own emotions, right? And I've, and I've had the opportunity to read some of them. Um, and by the way, most of them are emotions of self-deception. And so what I would like to be able to do is get some of those postings and then call you up and sit you down and talk about your emotions of self-deception. Does that make sense? If, if you feel brave enough to do that. If you don't feel brave enough to do that, you just say no. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I'll say no worries. So you don't have to do it, but I'll just invite you to do that. It'll be very good for you from a teaching point of view, but also teaching others. Now, it's these emotions of self-deception that often mislead us on the path of emotional processing, and the emotions of self-deception are often the emotions that cause us to become downhearted in our relationship with God. So many of you have said things to me like, I've been processing emotions for three months and it's been this one emotion and I don't seem to be getting through it. What's going on? Well, what's going on is you're in, your, you're in an emotion of self-deception. It's not the real emotion. Because the real emotions, when you deal with them, get released from you and your law of attraction changes instantly. So we can deal with that with God. So that's what we want to do now, start incorporating God far more in all of these discussions that we're having. Right? Now, some for some of you, that will challenge you. And for some of the new people that come along, it will challenge them a lot. But that's okay, because that's all part of their emotional state. Right? And we need to challenge these things to move through this emotional period and really get to the core emotions that are within us. So that's what we'll be doing next week. Tomorrow, we're doing a mediumship session a mediumship training session. Tomorrow, um, it will only be a shortened session because we've got to be out of here by 5 o'clock, which means we've got to finish by 4 o'clock. So the session tomorrow will be from 1 to 4 o'clock. And uh, I'll be focused in the first hour and a half or so on... We won't have much of a break tomorrow, so we'll have to have a shortened break, maybe 15 minutes or something. And, uh, and then we'll have to pack up afterwards. And what I'm thinking is if you want to get together afterwards... We can maybe, if it's warm enough outside or something at four, we could tidy up here quite quickly and then just move outside and we could spend time together you know, outside so you don't feel like you've got to go straight away or anything like that. And tomorrow will be quite a confronting mediumship session because one of the exercises that I'm going to ask you to do is to start dealing with all of your doubts about my character. And so what I've done is I've actually listed a few pages of really antagonistic comments that have been made to me over a period of five years, for, and I'm going to give you them to read. Right? And, uh, and we'll see how you feel about it over a period of a month. You mean your character as AJ? Uh, by, uh, as AJ, yes. Yep. 
And uh, there's people who have travelled with me and people who I've met in the past who have now upset with me and I'm going to give you their comments about me. Right? And, uh, and we'll see how that affects your mediumship and how it affects your healing as a result. And next week, we're going to be focused on the emotions of self-deception uh, on the Saturday at Ulo, at Peter's house. And then on Sunday, myself and Mary will be sitting up front and answering your questions. So if you want to come along um, with questions, that's fine. I've got pages and pages and pages of questions that have been asked me um, on, the, on the internet that I could also incorporate. But I'd like to primarily get you to ask the questions you feel because often they are actually guided by spirits with us as well. So that sort of covers both, you know, what the spirit's questions are and what your questions are. So that's what will be happening next week. But I'd like to thank you for your time now and uh, thank you that uh, you come along today. I'm really happy that you came along on this discussion because um, it's, I feel that it's the most important discussion that we will ever have, this discussion about divine love and how to receive it and how to pray for it. Many of you I know are not feeling that at this moment because there's many other things that interest you, but in time I know that many of you will come to feel that as well. So allow yourself to meditate about our discussion today. Um, there isn't anything more that we had to discuss with anyone, is there? Um, oh, there will be upcoming events at Gosford and Armadale, which we, which we are still in the process of organising and we'll send perhaps... Oh, that's right, I sent it out on the last email as to all the contact details and everything there. So, um, Carol, you had a question you wanted to ask, if there's a mic here. Sorry. Me. Yeah, Carol. Um, AJ, I feel a little bit disheartened because I've been um, crying enormous amounts yep. um, that I might not be getting past the... the that I'm not actually accessing the causal, but my question is, could it be that it's so big and so deep that you're just doing chunks of it? So uh, that that it... is sometimes the case. Um, we'll talk about that next week a fair bit, but that is sometimes the case where, yes, you need to chip away at something, but usually if we're not accessing the causal, there are deep fears associated, so the first step is accessing the blocks. So most of us are going through emotions of accessing the blockages to our causal emotion rather than the causals themselves. Now the process of accessing blockages, and we'll talk about this more next week, but the process of accessing blockages is often doesn't feel productive because our law of attraction doesn't change. You see, if I've got a blockage of fear and I deal with that fear, that the causal emotion with the other, other attractions doesn't change. So I might be afraid. Let's say I'm afraid of dealing with sexual shame, for example. The fear blocks me from experiencing the sexual shame. So first I need to experience the fear. But when I experience the fear and release it, the sexual shame still exists. So my, sec my, my sexual attractions still exist unchanged. Does that make sense? My law of attraction will exist unchanged. So dealing with the fear was an emotional process, but it feels like it didn't accomplish anything, but in reality it did. What it did was it lifted the lid on a deeper emotion. So one, it's one of the things we'll talk about next week with, with emotions. There are a whole group of emotions which I'd call capping... There are capping emotions which I'd call emotions of denial. Then there's a whole group of emotions which are the covering emotions, which cover over deeper emotions. 
and many of us have been in that state of dealing with covering emotions, which is an important part of the process and has to be dealt with before you'll get to the real causal emotions. So um, it's a matter of how do I know which one's which? And that's what we'll talk about next week. Thank you. Carol, thanks. Um, AJ, there's one thing that I've been reading in the pageant messages that I know and I've discussed with some other people too, that it's sort of standing between me and feeling that there's this... um, it's making me feel like this God's a bit wrathful, you know. Yep. Uh, and it is that um, that the gates of heaven will close yep. soon. Can you explain that? Yep. Um, it's probably a subject I'd like to cover in a lot more detail um, rather than just giving a brief explanation at this moment. But um, yes, the there will be at, at a time in the future, there will be a closing of the celestial heavens. Um, I'm not saying that it won't reopen at another time. There are really, really good reasons for the closing and that the major primary reason is that all of those people in the celestial heavens are very much focused on helping people in lower conditions. That also, to a degree, prevents further progression. There's a whole new set of gifts that God wants to give mankind aside from divine love. And only those ones who have received divine love will be able to receive those new gifts. And so there has to be a time when those who have received divine love no longer are focused on what's happening on the earth or what's happening in the spirit world and lower spheres, but are now can focus on these new gifts. Does that make sense? And so what I see happening is there'll be an opening and a closing and an opening and a closing of the celestial heavens. You see, divine love, and this is something that I haven't talked about today, but it's really important to understand. Divine love is a gift. It's not a given. Do you understand the difference? See, you imagine you, you, at Christmas time, you've got, a, you know, you've got children or whatever and you want to buy them a gift. If the child expects the gift, how does it feel giving it? Right? If the child actually abuses the gift, how does it feel now when you've given it? Now what's happening? What's going to happen on earth and in the spirit world during this time that we're living right now is that God's gift of divine love is going to be offered to every single soul. Some souls, in fact I feel perhaps quite a few souls will reject it. Now, there'll be a period of time where that's offered and re-offered and re-offered. This gift is known about and offered and offered and offered, maybe even generations where it's offered. But people, and it will be well known all through the spirit world and in, on earth. See, at the moment it's not well known, even in the lower spheres of the spirit world, but it will be. And so God will be offering these gifts, but what will happen is sooner or later everyone will come to a choice. And the choice is, am I going to receive the gift Or am I going to reject it? All those who reject it will actually be prevented from accessing the gift for a period of time. The reason why that will occur is because if it's a bit like if you gave a gift to a child and it just jumped up and down on it, would you contemplate giving exactly the same gift back to the child on exactly the same moment? Why? because the child already has shown a thankless and unappreciative emotion towards the gift. 
So what you would generally do is you would talk to the child about that, reason with the child about that, and wait a period of time perhaps before you bought the same gift again, wouldn't you? And then you'd give them the same gift again and see how they treated it then. And that's exactly how God is going to deal with mankind. So this period of time we're living in is a great time because every single person in the spirit world and every single person on earth is, it will be open to the gift of divine love. And it's a fantastic time on earth. There will be a time when that offer, this particular offer, I'm not saying there won't be an offer in the future, I'm saying this particular offer of that gift will be closed. And all the persons who didn't appreciate what they were being offered will be given time to actually work through those emotions as to why they didn't appreciate it. And then there will be a re-offer, probably, made to mankind for that gift. Is that what happened before? Like, is that when you were there in the first century, did you reopen that? Or? Uh, what happened was it was closed when Ammon and a man denied the gift. So when Ammon and a man rejected the gift, the first human couple rejected the gift of divine love, because God could foresee what was going to occur because of their rejection, which was this subsequent soul damage on every generation for a long period of time, what God did was withdraw the possibility of the gift until my coming in the first century. And then God reopened the possibility of the gift, which I embraced. So I was the first person to embrace that gift. And then after me, many, many others were the, embraced that gift. But there was a period of time where the gift was not offered. So in the Paget messages, you'll notice there's these uh, many messages where, there's a, where they were saying, I didn't know about the gift being offered again. You know, where Ammon and man say the gift was actually closed from being offered to them after that period. So if you read those messages, you'll see that God has in the past stopped offering the gift when the people didn't want it, allowed a period of time to pass until there was someone there who wanted it, and then reopened the gift again. Does that make sense? So, and then so people will, when it's closed, like people will still go to the sixth level even on the divine love yeah, path and, yeah. and wait There won't there. be, you'd say, in a way, there won't be a divine love path for a period of time. Okay. Right? And then the path will open again, if you like. Now, any who have received divine love can never be... Divine love can never be removed from you. So any of you who have received divine love means that you can never be not offered it. Does that make sense? Because God will never do that. So it's only those ones who have definitely refused. They know of the choice and they refuse. To receive the gift. What about the people in sort of the second sphere and third sphere? They're not up to going through the celestial gate. They will still be able to progress in divine love. Yeah. Um, even your soulmates will be able to progress, even if they haven't received divine love, because this, remember the soul is a complete unit, not just half. So if half of the soul received divine love and the other half hasn't received divine love, then that entire soul will still have open to it the possibility of receiving divine love. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm because it's the whole soul that God looks at, not the halves. So, so that will continue to occur. The, the issue is that where the whole soul, both halves, have rejected the gift of divine love, those ones will obviously, for a time period, there will be a time period where God will not offer that gift. And it's totally, and it's not for punishment or any of those things, but it's, there's a number of loving reasons for it. One is you don't keep offering a gift to somebody who rejects it. That's a basic principle of love. The second one is that 
the people who have recept, accepted the gift are in a state where they can accept other gifts and they need to be given the chance to accept those gifts. Do you know what I mean? So it's loving to both part people. And then the third thing is obviously that God will reopen, just like he did reopen in the first century, the opportunity for the gift. And the opportunity is being from there till now and it will continue probably a few centuries yet or a few generations yet. And then God will close down that opportunity for the gift. Those people have the opportunity to progress in other ways and then there'll be a new crop, if you like, of people who receive divine love after that time when God reopens the gift. When the first person... Usually, see, in the first century, the first person who wanted the gift to be offered, God offered it. Does that make sense? So when all of the people who have rejected it are in a state of rejection, God won't offer it anymore. But when the first person of those get into a state where they want to have it offered, God will offer it again. Does that make sense? It's totally dependent upon man's desire for the gift. So um, if you can bear that in mind when you read about those things about the closing of the heavens, that'd be good. Is there any other questions? I've got about a quarter of an hour, so I can answer any other questions. It's a question? Good. Um, is there ever going to be a time when the earth will pass away? Um, will the earth will no, no be, not be? If you're talking about time when the earth passes away, um, from a purely scientific pers perspective, there is the potential of the earth passing away. Because the sun has the ability to go into a supernova state, which would, have, would, which would destroy the earth. Does that make sense? Now, now, as far as predictions go, when that occurs, maybe millions and millions and millions of years in the future. Right? But it may occur. But by that stage, mankind will be in a state of development where we can go from one planet to another planet without there even needing a method for the transportation between those two locations. So it wouldn't affect us. Does that make sense? So there's not anything to be afraid of, but there is the scientific uh, possibility of like the sun going supernova and, and, and there, are, there are many other planets that support life in the, in the universe. And so we could easily go to one of those planets or many of them. In fact, you know, one of the things we may be doing in the future is actually going to planets, uh, other planets other than the Earth. These are all possibilities. Yeah. But, uh, and so there is this possibility that the Earth may pass, but not, not now. Um, okay. Uh, yes, thank you. Yeah. Hi. Um, Hold does, it right up close to you like that. That's it. Good on you. Does the soul condition of the soul halves affect one another even if they're not together? Yes, definitely. What happens is that the soulmate connection, so if you imagine here's one half of the soul and here's the other half of the soul, this is what you look like when you're separated. So one half of your soul, let's say one of it's male and the other one's female, and... Um, in terms of the bodies connected to them, the male bodies and female bodies, in this illustration that I'm giving you, there is a constant energetic transaction going on between the soulmate halves, even if you're unaware of it. There's this, and the law of attraction operates upon soulmate halves more than it operates upon every any other relationship. But it's the emotional blockages in each half of the soul that prevent the recognition of this connection. So any change that you make inside of yourself 
that actually prevents connection with your soulmate will be felt by your soulmate. It doesn't matter what their condition is. Now, when their condition is in a really, really, really poor or shriveled condition, they won't feel it very much. Does that make sense? But if their condition is quite a good condition, they'll feel a very strong feeling uh, and, and they'll feel very much drawn, drawn to you. So what I had to do is deal with a lot of my feminine-based issues, you know, issues with the opposite gender. Mostly, I had no anger, very little anger with the opposite gender. What I had mostly was these, these terrible fears of disappointing the opposite gender and, and all of those kind of things. And I had to work through a lot of those issues, which slowly but surely attracted my soulmate. And then I had to also live in desire. So like I lived in South Australia, my soulmate lived in Queensland, so how were we going to meet if none of us lived in our desire, right? So, you know, my feelings started coming up. Why, oh, you know, I really love Queensland for some reason. I don't understand why. And, you know, but, but I just like the idea of living there. And so I started traveling up here a bit more than anywhere else. And you know what I mean? And started, so follow those desires too. So that's a part of what the soulmate attraction does too. Follow the desires. Often it's going to lead you to a place that's closer to where your soulmate is. Does that make sense? Yep. But definitely, when you deal with your emotions in your half of the soul, the other half of your soul, whether it be male or female, is definitely going to actually feel those changes and be drawn to you. The law of attraction operates in the most powerful way between soulmate halves. Yep. Raya, thanks. AJ, how big is this God? How is it universal? Is it the galaxy? Is it all the planets? Is it just humanity? God. How big? Yeah. Um, the best way I can illustrate it, uh, illustrate God in terms of size, to give you a concept. What I'm what I'm going to try to do is give you a concept of infinity basically, because God is infinite in nature and in power. God's soul is infinite in power. But remember, God's soul doesn't exist inside of the universe. The universe is created by God's soul. So, for example, if you create a car, you don't exist inside the car, do you? You can get in the car and you can get out of the car, but the car isn't you. Does that make sense? So this is the same as God's nature. God's created universes, like the first universe we'd call the physical universe, right? Now, man can't even measure the extent of this universe at this point, right? We don't know how big the universe actually is, and the spirits have measured the extent of the physical universe, but mankind at the moment doesn't have the, have the means to do that, right? So for all intensive purposes, mankind's viewpoint of the universe is infinite. There are literally, the number of galaxies in the universe, the physical universe, you think of a galaxy. You, you know, most of us have seen the Milky Way galaxy in a picture or something like that. It's a very vast galaxy. The Earth is pinpricked in a tiny little location in the middle of the top. And that's one galaxy. And there are literally billions of those galaxies that each have billions of stars in them, which each have billions of planets revolving around these billions of stars. Does that make sense? So there's the extent of the physical universe. You can't even conceive the extent of the physical universe. Now, if you just imagine 
Then there's the thing called the first sphere. The first sphere of which the physical universe is a part, you can say, the first sphere is another set of that kind of extent of creation. So in other words, it's as big as the physical universe. So you can start seeing it like slices in an orange, you know? So here, here's an orange and you slice up an orange around. If you can think of it as each one of those is a universe, each sphere is a universe. Does that make sense? Right? Now God created all of that. At the moment there's 22 of those that are known and each time a person gets into a new condition of love another one is created. So God not only created these universes in the sense that God created the potentiality of these universes existing. The reason why sometimes I'm referred to in the Urantia book or whatever as the creator son is that the universes from the 7th to the 21st are the universes that I personally created. You follow me? But I didn't create them in the sense of physically creating them. I created them by my soul getting into a condition of love that automatically created the universe that I needed to exist in. Does that make sense to everyone? All right, so God's created this unlimited potential for your soul to grow with this unlimited number of universes, each of which is as vast as the physical universe that we're living in right now. So we're starting to conceive how big the universe is and God's bigger than that. So can you conceive that this being who's that big wants to talk to you? So God is so vast and so powerful that all of these universes are actually created through the laws that God constructed. And every one of you, when you enter one of these new universes, you will change the universe of it. You will change it. Every single person who enters a new universe physically changes that universe. Right? And God created that potential for you. So when you start stretching your mind, and there's a lot of things like that that I'll be talking about with you in the future. When you start stretching your mind enough to even begin to contemplate emotionally what this feels like, then you will start to understand how God is. Right? And, that, and yet, she wants to talk to you. So she wants to have a connection with you. She wants to have a connection with every single child. God is so vast that God can connect with every single child to the extent that you, through your own love that exists in your soul, can create a universe. And God has enough love to actually give love to every single one of you to create your own universe. If you can contemplate how much love that is, you start to understand, which is very difficult to do, how vast God is. So, so when you start feeling about God in this way, you'll start really connecting with this, this beautiful gift that she's giving you that is the gift of, the, of this personal love that she has for you. Do you know what I mean? To, to have a, a being that powerful, right, who can actually give you enough past personal power to create an entire universe that's almost infinite in its nature and yet do that for Brian and do that for every other person that's here and every other person who wants that. And God can do all of that for us just by 
this process of receiving divine love, expanding the soul. No wonder I've been freaking out. <laughs> yep. God is huge. Right. AJ, as you've mentioned planets and galaxies here, in the, um, like the spiritual traditions, they talk about, say, a star or a, a star, say, as having a form of soul, um, and likewise planets, and, and like an oversoul for a galaxy. Mm -hmm. uh, is there some truth in this? And there's some truth in the sense that the combined consciousness of the people on the planet caused the planet to have a certain nature. So um, obviously without people on it, um, then it all just operates perfectly as God designed. But the combined soul consciousness or the soul condition of every single on the planet determines what happens to the planet. So the planet then takes on the nature of the people living on it. Right? So our planet right at the moment is doing that. That's why there's lots of areas of our planet that's quite arid and desert. There's quite a lot of our areas of our planet that are being destroyed uh, even naturally. There's quite a lot of areas of our planet where they're losing, where we're losing glaciers and we're losing all of these things that that, that, that are quite essential for our, our living, our comfort, our comfort. We're losing a lot of these things because of the soul condition of man. So you could say the planet is taking on the, the characteristics or the soul attributes that each one of us are reflecting back at the planet. But it doesn't mean the planet has a personality of its own or a soul of its own. The soul of the planet, you could say, is our soul combined together being reflected If you can hold it right up. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. I'm wondering what you think of abortion. What I think of abortion? Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter what I think of abortion. What matters is what God thinks of abortion. What does it mean? <laughs> okay. And what is abortion? Abortion is the taking of a life of a child growing in the womb of its mother, right? Um, and and what actually happens at the soul level? What would that little soul be able to do if the mother never did it? Well, the little soul would be able to be born. It would be able to live a life on earth where it's gathering information and things. It would be able to have a unique experience here on the earth. As soon as you take that away, you're actually affecting the free will of the child. Anything that affects the free will of another person is actually in disharmony with divine love. So God's opinion of it is it's totally disharmonious with God's love. Now, usually we choose to abort a child for lots of different reasons and they're all emotional. Those emotions might be that we're afraid to bring the child into the world as we have it today or it might be that you know we feel like we're too old or, we, or it might be that we're too young or it might be that we won't be able to cope with it. Or, you know, there might, and what God would prefer us to do is to deal with those emotions rather than abort the child. When we abort the child, there is, an emotion, there is an emotion created within us that will have to be released through the law of condensation. And, and to be frank, it's the same emotion that motivates, uh, that, that needs to be released by a murderer. So that is something to consider when we're um, in that state. Now, of course, many abortions don't happen because of the choice of the mother only. 
Many of the abortions happen because of the choice of the father or the, you know, the, uh, the, who, who created the child as well. And so it's the combined, the law, the law of compensation is acted upon both of those, not just the mother itself. Of course, if the mother decided to abort the child and the father wanted to keep it, then that would be a different matter altogether. Does that make sense? That if the mother destroy, wants to destroy the child, then obviously, um, and the father wants to, or let's say the male puts a lot of pressure on his wife to abort the child, then obviously the law of compensation will very much affect the male more than the mother maybe. So, so it, every situ- single situation is very different the way the law of compensation affects it. But the truth is that an abortion is just like that has the same effect on a person's free will as a murder. So um, I've had four abortions. Yep. And I'm wondering um, what is my relationship with these four souls? Um, it what w- is my? If you work through your emotions as to why you had the abortions what will happen is you'll be able to re-establish really good relationships with these four children you have. They're all in the spirit world. They've all been looked after very, very well. They've all been loved. The key for you is to work your way through the emotions. When you work your way through the emotions, the spirits who look, have looked after these children will be able to bring these children to you. And if it happened 20 or 30 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever, many of these children will automatically feel drawn to you as you feel love for them. So so when you work your way through the law of compensation about this, and, and of course the law of repentance even overcomes that. So if you work through this issue with God and pray to God about you know having destroyed these person's free will choices and you let yourself feel that emotionally, what will happen is these young ones will be, will be drawn to you. So by the time you pass, you'll probably have a very good relationship with them and you know, you'll be able to spend a lot of time with them and see them. Does that make sense? So the key with all of my statements is not to take it as, oh, you're as bad as a murderer and all those kind of things. The truth is that there are sets of emotions inside of us that cause us to do things, often which later we regret terribly, right? The key for us is to direct our feelings of repentance and regret towards God and divine love or grace will will actually help us remove those emotional causes which created the desire in us to to have the abortion. So or to do whatever we did, you know, whether that's you know in harming anybody's free will, let alone a child's. So the key for us is to work through those emotions. When we do that, we demonstrate our true repentance, our true sorrow. Our true sorrow is dealt with completely when we have a pure desire to deal with every emotion that caused us to make the choice we made. Does that make sense? So just allow yourself to work through those emotions that caused you to make the choices. Let yourself feel about them, pray to God about them, let yourself feel your emotions about them and also start to let yourself feel the desires you have to reconnect with these children. Does that make sense? Because you do have those desires now. Let yourself feel those desires as well and cry about the fact of the thing. You know, allow yourself to grieve what, what has been done. And when you do that, you'll have a much stronger bond with them. And you'll feel them come to you when you do that. And who is it that forgives? If you put that right up to me. Who, who does the forgiving? There's two that do the forgiving. Firstly, God always forgives. So every single action you've ever taken, including including one of abortion or murder or any other thing, 
God has automatically forgiven it. But what needs to happen inside of you is there needs to be this process of forgiveness of self that needs to occur. And that only occurs through this action of repentance or through the law of compensation. So the forgiveness of self is really eventually not remembering. So when you go through the law of compensation, you might, if, if, if it's with abortion, many women have gone through 30, 40, 50, 100 years in the spirit world of the law of compensation of that, or they've spent a few months working through their emotions as to why they did it, and God, God's divine love enters them and takes away the cause, which means that they were automatically forgiven themselves. So every single person at some point will come to a complete knowledge of everything you've done in disharmony with love and you will also at some point have forgiven yourself for every single thing you did in disharmony with love. Does that make sense? God's already forgiven you but we, we don't forgive ourselves even when we think we have. The fact that we still think about it emotionally means we haven't forgiven. Right? What will happen is you'll get to a point where all of these things you'll feel within yourself as forgiven and you will have forgiven yourself and you'll at that point know that forgiveness has occurred. And divine love is the operation which can do it in a vastly speeded up manner by repentance. But if you don't, if you don't get involved in repentance, then you're on the natural love path and you'll have to go through the law of compensation. And that may be many hundreds of years dealing with such issues. Thank you. Does that make sense? I can give a lot more answer about that at another time, perhaps. But uh, Morgan, thank you. And um, this will be our last question. How do our parents choose us? How do our parents choose us? Um, yeah, like if by their not... emotional and soul condition. So, um, and there are a lot of factors at play. There are literally billions of factors at play in the choice of a child at a soul level. So. Um, those of you who have heard my previous presentations know that, that it's the parent's soul condition that attracts the child into their life, the unborn child into their life. Now, there are literally thousands, millions of conditions in this child that cause a certain type of child to be attracted. And those factors include things such as personality, but they also include things such as emotional injury, reflection of emotional injury between so that the parents might have certain emotional injuries that need a certain type of child personality to trigger those injuries. That will be part of the law of attraction. There will also be environmental factors in the parent and what the child longs to do in its life in terms of, because remember the child doesn't have a conscious longing, so, but there are child characteristics that, that cause the attraction as well. So the parent's location might even cause the attraction to a certain child and so forth. There are literally, like I say, millions of factors. The key for us to be aware of as a parent is that I've attracted this child into my life. Anything that this child is triggering in me or any way this child is acting is actually a reflection of my law of attraction. So it's really important for the parent to see that. From a child's perspective, we often feel it's so unjust uh, where we've had a certain parent, but actually there are certain things inside of you, for instance, more emotionally, that are going to vastly help your family when you get into a state of truth. Does that make sense? So when you're in a state of truth and love, you'll find that you, you'll, you'll become the leader in your family of actually dealing with all these emotional causes within them and your whole family line, not only the ones that were born after you, but all the ones born before you will benefit from that. 
So actually, while you're seeing born into a certain family at the moment as a very disadvantageous thing, the reality is in the future you'll see it in a totally different light once you've worked your way through some of the hurts that you have. All right, well, thank you very much for um, your time today. And uh, thank you. And we'll catch up with, uh, with everyone uh, who wants to do the mediumship tomorrow, obviously. So uh, along your uh, mediumship or healing roles, and we'll see how we go tomorrow. Thank you.